Why don't we begin? This is Fresh Hop Cinema. Hello and welcome back to Fresh Hop Cinema. After a couple week hiatus, we are a podcast out of Chico, California, and we talk about movies and craft beer almost each and every week. That's Johnny Summers. That's Max Manhardy. How y'all doing? <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice in my ears again, dude. Yeah, it's good to be inside you again. Yeah, I'm very sure, happy to be sure. here. Uh, I am. I am adapting to this first time because I kind of reconfigured the studio. I got a new monitor, and I was wondering how it was going to feel setting you it up. Got a like lizard? This. I got a new monitor in the studio. No lizard, yeah. unfortunately. Why but a monitor, uh, a monitor is the type of lizard. Is it really? Yeah. So you got a lizard? Sure, I got a lizard. That's awesome. Um, and I can happily confirm that after we just since we recorded our bonus episode for Patreon, it feels good. I've got my notes on one screen. I got our recording session on the other. So I think it's going to be a great episode. But before we get into our content of this week, where can people find us on the internet? On the web of inters, they can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Untapped at Fresh Hop Cinema, Letterboxd at Max Benardi, and at Johnny Summers. You can email us at fhccast at gmail.com. If you listened to that bonus content and you're on Patreon, I expect an email from you. Indeed. It's very important. Uh, you can find us online on our website at freshhopcinema.com. It is our online home for all things us. And you can also find us at patreon.com. Excuse me, slash Fresh Hop Cinema. It is a fun way to keep the wheels from falling off this lovely podcast vehicle, which we are currently driving while slightly intoxicated. We're <laughs> bending the rules a little bit, but it's a podcast. It's fine. It's it's legal to drive one of those while you're you're slightly intoxicated. But yeah, little as a dollar a week, you can help support us. It, uh, yeah, that's the nutshell. You can also rate and review us on Apple Podcasts if you'd like, or wherever you listen to podcasts, it helps other people find our show. It's always fun meeting new people. Um, before I keep talking here, I wanted to jump back to what you were saying about Patreon. We do put out bonus content, like you were saying, many episodes, um, sometimes about craft beer, sometimes about movies, sometimes about hypotheticals during times when there's not a pandemic. And if you live in California, smoke in every breath you take outside. We also have bar hangs where we get together and drink beer and talk about beer and movies. But one uh, maybe not advertised perk is that if you're maybe like Jared Schmidt or Sean Aaron's and have a birthday and we're not on air to discuss it, we'll give you a happy birthday shout out on air the next time we record. Like we said, we've been off for a couple weeks. So happy belated birthday, Jared and Sean. We appreciate you guys. I hope you had a great birthday. Uh, although I think we've talked to, I've talked to both of them in the past week. So I already know, but depending on when this episode comes out, hello again. Hope you guys had great birthdays. Uh, and I wanted to mention that because they are special people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Johnny Summers, should we talk about the sort of acting tragedy that we're late to now? Uh, yeah. While we were uh, away on our little break, uh, one Chadwick Boseman passed away. Very, very sad. Yeah. Very, very sad. I was completely shocked. I, like a lot of the world, didn't know that he was sick at all. He had... Uh, what was it colon cancer yeah he really didn't make that public at all and filmed like five movies while he was fighting it ended up passing away at age 43 so very sad yeah i don't know how but if you don't know chadwick boseman by name he's probably most famous for portraying t'challa in black panther uh he his last movie was uh that we saw at least was the five bloods uh, he's got actually another movie coming out later this year i believe if it's still on track it's called ma rainey's black bottom um, but he's been in all sorts of stuff and and was a very 
charismatic, powerful presence on screen. And it, like you're saying, man, like I, I had no idea about the colon cancer. He was 43 and, and seemed, seemed great. And then all of a sudden it was just like, Oh, that happened. And it felt like a very fitting shitty part of 2020. It was like, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Why not? Sure. Yeah. Just right. a bummer. But uh silver line to that, we're finding out posthumously how much work that he did with uh, kids with cancer and yeah. spent a lot of his, his free time in hospitals trying to, to brighten kids days. And uh, I really admire the fact that he did all that behind the scenes and did not bring camera crews with him. Uh, there's something to be said about people that do the right thing when no one's watching. Mm. And I think that's probably the biggest testament to his character and him as a person while he was going through his own struggles to be focusing on others and still giving. So, you know, that's a real, real hero type move. Yeah, agreed. If you do want to go back and watch some of his other movies and maybe you're not super familiar, I would say go back and check out certainly Marshall. It came out in 2017. He played Judge Thurgood Marshall. He also portrayed James Brown in 2014's Get On, Get On Up. And I think he kind of had his his mainstream debut as as Jackie Robinson in 42, which came out in 2013. So mm -hmm. he has a catalog of quality films. If you want to go check out his stuff and support that, I think you definitely should. They're all great movies. So do that. 100%. Uh, you want to crack open a beer? Yes, I do. All right. So you've picked out beers this week, and I believe this is a beer, both of them, that we've been sitting on um, since at least last week. Am I right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So what are we drinking first? So first is a beer called Moment of Truth from Cooperage Brewing out of Santa Rosa, California. I was not too familiar with any of their stuff, um, but they are super local and the label caught my eye. The style caught my eye. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's hitting a lot of the check marks for me. This is a West Coast style IPA that's 6.7% alcohol. And we have some notes. Max, do you want to read the notes from Dan Haynes, sales manager at Cooperage? Sure, yeah. Dan says, although we brew a ton of hazy beers, we prefer our beer to be clear. This IPA is inspired by our love of West Coast IPAs, but it's named as a tribute to East Coast hip-hop legends Gangstar. The hot bill consists of Simcoe and Mosaic, while the malt bill is primarily two-row with a touch of Vienna and wheat for body, aroma, and head retention. The can art is done by local artist MJ Lindo, who I believe you can find on Instagram, at MJ Lindo. They say it's the first can in our artists series, in quotes, which is meant to showcase the talents of local Sonoma County artists. Very cool. Uh, Dan says he hopes we enjoy it. And I just based on what I'm seeing in my glass and the can and the reference to a song that I have loved for many years, I think I am going to enjoy it. Johnny, have you tried it yet? I have tried it. And this is a voracious beer. <laughs> my goodness. It is real aggressive, but I'm I'm digging it. This is the atypical style mm. that I love, man, yep. the West yep. Coast IPA. This is in your face, biting up front, dare I say a little harsh, but not in a bad way. But those hops let you know they're there big time right at the front, and they don't really let up. It finishes like dry, uh, very, very abrupt beer. This is pretty aggressive couple things number one if you're like what's that sound underneath them talking that is the song moment of truth by gangstar just enjoy that while we speak it's one of my favorite songs we listened to it before we recorded and we thought everybody else would benefit from hearing it as well so that's what you're hearing but to what you're saying johnny yeah like this is this is great it's the exact type of west coast ipa aggression that i love uh, I tried the other night, I found um, Stone's Arrogant Bastard Ale in a 19.2 ounce can, so I grabbed it. And it is like, that beer is not shy about what it's trying to be, but it is so bitter. 
and so heavy that like I ended up not finishing it. And this beer has that same sort of hop bitiness, but without sort of the the heavy um, taxing mouthfeel. Does that make sense? Yes. This yeah. is, I mean, it's light and citrusy and punchy, but it's not. It doesn't topple over into something you get in like a New England IPA. And I'm so glad because because this is such a great balance between um, hoppiness and sweetness, and I, it, it lands super well for me. Yeah, this beer kills it. I, I really dig it, man. I'm super stoked on these guys. I'd never heard of them before this, and knowing that they're this local, they're only a couple hours south, man. I yeah. gotta. When the world isn't ending, I'm gonna go ahead and get down there. Where uh, where did you find this this can? This can is from SNS. Both of our beers this week are from SNS. Nice. Okay, that's a if you don't know ball shop here in Chico. Actually, just a grocery store here in Chico with a great beer selection. But I would imagine that you can probably find this at reputable bottle shops around, certainly Northern California, central to Northern. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, I'd never heard of Cooperage either. I'm glad we're getting to try it because it's a great first impression. Yeah, absolutely. And they've got a nice nice social media presence. Shout out to Dan, the sales manager, from getting back to us You're with some info. It's, it's always great. Both of our breweries this week were, were super responsive. I actually got to have uh, a small interview with our second brewer. Yeah. Um, so that was fun. But yeah, I always like it when they get involved and uh, give us some backstory. And I love the, the reference to the name and the clarification there. So yeah, I'm, I'm stoked on this beer overall. Yeah, I think people, I mean, in the craft beer community, people are always talking about how tight-knit it is, and people are very connected and passionate about what they do, which is almost always my experience, but it's it's extra lovely when that sort of um, assumption is bolstered by a brewery, like getting back to you and be like, yo, you're doing this thing? That's cool. Here's the thing that we're doing. Let's put those things together and make something very cool. Absolutely. I love that. Yep. I dig it. And it's even better when the beer is good. Oh, Totally. Because it's really awkward when they reach out and then the beer is just like, meh. And <laughs> I know. <laughs> hey, guys, here's the link to the episode. Share it on your social media, even though we shit on your beer. I know. I, I, <laughs> part of me is like, journalistic is too strong a word, but maybe alcoholic integrity. Being like, look, thanks for making beer. Thanks for getting back. Not for us, but we appreciate, you know, whatever. And then the other's like, maybe don't, maybe I shouldn't say anything at all. Like, maybe let this one slip under the radar. <laughs> yeah, man, just, just let it go. Just email them a link. Here's the yeah, link. Right. Share it if you like. So look, looking at this can, looking at Moment of Truth, artwork aside for a second, on the very bottom, it says this beer is for drinking, not for storing. Check packaging date, which I always love. So I did. And we're drinking this um, just over a month since it was canned. So it's yep. super fresh. And that's very apparent in the drinking experience, I think. Absolutely. Anything you don't like about this? Um, you know, it it could finish a a little bit more smooth, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's indicative of the style to finish like dry and, and abrupt like that. So, no, I think this is um this is definitely up there with any West Coast IPA I've had lately. I think uh it is so hoppy and aggressive and biting. Um, if it was a bit more balanced, I might want more than one of these. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call this beer like crushable for sure. Yeah. This is a, you know, I'll pour this pint and I'll sip it and enjoy it while it's cold. But yeah, I, I don't know if I'd reach for another one just because of the sheer bitterness and like volume of mouthfeel that this like takes over in my mouth. Yeah, that makes sense. I think like I'm going to enjoy the hell out of this one. Yeah. yeah. But I think more would be a stretch. I'm in the same boat for a different reason. So upon my second drink, I stand by what I said flavor-wise, but there is a little bit of, um, I, I guess maybe 
it's probably not sweetness, but, but a bit more of a syrupy body kind of aftertaste that I'm getting or an after feel maybe. Um, and it's just not quite sitting as light as a 6.7 IPA should in, in my brain. I'm it's getting it. a nice oaky afterbirth. Don't just say oaky afterbirth because you want to say oaky afterbirth. <laughs> Uh, but fair enough. Yeah, I am getting uh, a, a, a noticeable afterbirth for sure. Definitely. Just such well, a such a uh, visceral description, you know. Mm-hmm. It happens though. Yeah, but I I really do like it. And I think maybe we could. Uh, I mean, we'll post this on our Instagram too, so maybe we'll just let our actual photos do the talking. I was going to try to describe the can, but uh, I'll just maybe leave it to you to to post a picture of this because it is a lovely can. It, it's def- yeah. definitely eye catching. Absolutely. A lot of good colors. I still, th- I still think that's Lady Gaga. Why? Yeah, I wasn't clear on why you said that. It uh, looks like her, and that was a it. Little was there like a re- is there a reference between Moment of Truth and Lady Gaga? No, that I'm not aware of. Okay, I don't think so. Doesn't look that much like Lady Gaga. A little bit. I also, mean, the other can of theirs that they had was like a artistic rendering out of hops of Lemmy from Motorhead. So oh, I'm like, are yeah. are they just trying to put famous like people on their can? Yeah. So I was like, maybe it's just famous musicians. I don't know. You know, I'd be willing to say, uh, to guess if we looked up at MJ Lindo on Instagram, he'd probably he or she, I suppose, uh, would probably have this up there with maybe a backstory on on where the design came from. I think maybe. we should find that out, and and we should also probably just reach out once we post this. Be like, hey, what's the what's the story here? Yeah, and we'll try and tag in any of the. Whatchamacallits, the, sure. the posts that we make too. Well, in the meantime, do you want to rate Moment of Truth out of 10, my friend? Out of 10, this beer feels like a solid like 7-2 for me. It's pretty good. Yeah, 7-2. Yeah. It's a very enjoyable, that's an enjoyable number. I would drink a 7-2 yeah. almost any day of the week. Exactly. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm right in your wheelhouse. I'm going a flat 7 just because it's easier for my brain to deal with uh, closer to whole numbers. But it's a super good beer. Um, how much was it? Um, how much was it? It was $5 and 19 cents. That's about, I mean, that's about standard for a pint. I suppose this is clearly a specialty type beer. It's a limited run based on the idea that they're just doing different series of art and artists work. So I think that's about right for the price point. I would, I'd jump at it a little bit quicker if it was closer to like four, four fifty. but mm-hmm. I'm also just squabbling over cents at this point. Yeah, exactly. Stop it. All in all, pretty good. Moment of truth. Cooperage Brewing. Get your hands on it if you can. It's a 7.2 for Johnny. It is a 7 for me. Let's move along into Flick Picks. Like I said, we've been off the air for a couple weeks, so we had no shortage of content to cover, and it was a matter of, at least in my case, uh, narrowing down what I wanted to talk about now and what I want to talk about maybe if we release sort of a midweek extra episode in a few days. But Exactly. I, same thing. I had like, I know, I have four things I want to talk about. Two of them I was lukewarm on, so yeah. out of the two that I liked, I have to pick one and save one for next week. So a couple weeks ago, we had it slated to cover this new horror movie that was coming out on Netflix called One BR, which stood for One Bedroom, and I got a chance to watch it, so did you, and I think that you had a little bit more to say about it. It is on our list as your flick pick. So, Johnny, give me like a rundown of what One BR is about, and then take it away from there. Yeah, so essentially you have this this young lady named Sarah, and she's trying to start over in LA kind of just get out of where she lives and start a new life. Uh, she moves into this apartment complex and things start to unravel because uh let's just say all of her neighbors aren't exactly as they appear to be. It's not as wholesome and inviting and they're not as friendly as you would imagine. Can I just uh, jump in and say that's such a funny thing cuz cuz I feel like when it comes to horror movies and I'm just going to reference what I'm going to say later about I'm thinking of ending things in my description I wrote something along the lines of like 
upon their arrival, things aren't exactly what they seem. Because it's like the <laughs> easiest way of not spoiling whatever happens. It's just right. like something's not right. How to be super vague, right? Super creepy. <laughs> uh, but carry on. Yeah. So Sarah discovers things are all kinds of wonky. Uh, it's hard to tell you much more than that without getting a bit spoilery, but there is some really creepy, deeply disturbing elements to this movie that kind of kept me engaged. Uh, and if you are as big of a fan of Midsommar as me, you will see that there were some some for sure parallels mm-hmm. uh, in a bit of the, the plot and some of the writing and things like that. Uh, it was very thought-provoking and kind of wild and out there and it was honestly, as far as horror and suspense movies go, it was it was fairly original as well. Even though I did directly compare it to Midsommar, I think right. that was only in a bit of some of the the vibe of it. But yeah. I think the overall plot and story and execution stood on its own, and I it, it was a very entertaining movie. Uh, I was very pleased that I watched it, and I would recommend it to you. Sweet, yeah. And you said it's on Netflix, yeah, yeah. We're, so I always have these questions for you when when you watch a horror movie because I think we watch them very differently. I have historically been very um, frightened. I'm very scarable and I've gotten better at horror movies, but I have sort of dialed in my niche when it comes to stuff that I enjoy in a horror movie and stuff that I don't. Um, So for example, get out, love it. Saw could never again hear about it in my life and be super happy. So I would just want to notice for my own personal, um, you know, like, is, is this a movie that you think, that people who have similar taste in horror like me would, would enjoy. I think so because it was definitely more cerebral horror suspense, more of being trapped in a nightmare than body parts flying everywhere. Yeah. Uh, I think you're definitely more of a fan of psychological horror and suspense than like gore or slasher films. Uh, And I think this definitely falls into that category. There, there was a little bit of violence and stuff like that, but it was more, it was more unsettling than gory. So I think, um, I think, yeah, someone that falls into your camp would like this for sure. Yeah, I agree. I was, so when I was watching it, I, you always, I think, look for, especially in, in, a, in a potential like final girl kind of horror movie. Like you start with this one girl who's alienated in a brand new, brand new situation and doesn't necessarily, like we don't trust anybody, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. Like you need to buy into that character. And I did. For the most part, like I think, I think the, the actress's name is Nicole Bryden Bloom, and I think she did a pretty good job. I'm, I'm looking up now just to see what else she's been in, um, and I don't think there's been a whole lot. Um, she didn't strike you as somebody you'd seen in a movie before, did she? No. Yeah, I'm not seeing it right now, but um, I think no, she was a lot of a lot of people good. in this movie didn't strike me as familiar at all. Right, which is such I think a really useful tool in horror movies because so often you can see and be like, oh well, that's just Brad Pitt, and yeah. like it takes you out of it. Yep. And I think it's one of the more important or at least one of the more effective approaches in a genre like horror. Like if you can't relate any pop culture references or, or past experiences to the people on screen, for me, it's more like, okay, these are like real people going through these potentially very scary situations. Definitely. Okay. So one BR on Netflix, check it out. We're going to play a quick trailer for it. And then I'm going to come in with my flick pick. Haven't you been getting my calls? I've been busy. When are you coming home? I'm staying. They put that system in a few years ago after a break-in. Uh, don't worry. Neighborhood's a lot safer now. I just moved here. I don't really know anyone. What brought you to L.A.? 
Trying to start a new life. Missed one here. Any pets? Nope. You got it. We're neighbors. Hey, listen, we're having a barbecue. You should come. Welcome. We like to make this place feel like a real neighborhood. And we all kind of take care of each other here. So that was the trailer for One Bedroom. Check it out. That's my flick pick. Max, what is your flick pick this week? Right. So like you were saying, like we've watched a bunch of stuff and I, I do think that it's safe to say that you and I are going to put out um, a, a, a dual movie, maybe like Monday, Tuesday type episode. Do you think that's a fair teaser? Oh, yeah. OK, so some of that more like the newer stuff I'm, I set aside to cover a documentary that came out back in June. It came out to Netflix and it was actually um, originally released at Sundance. It's called Disclosure, Trans Lives on Screen, and it's a documentary uh, filmed, directed, produced by Sam Feeder, or Feder, F-E-D-E-R, um, and it's basically this um, very digestible, um, like just over an hour and a half sort of history in Hollywood of portraying trans people on screen, and it's, I, I mean, f- full transparency, I suppose, like I haven't necessarily ever sought out trans artwork before and there's so much of it and there's so much of a like a an ominous shadow especially I mean it's been clearing in the past like 10 years or so but before that like the degree to which trans people have been alienated and and sort of demonized on in in mainstream Hollywood movies certainly but even smaller projects is was really eye-opening and it's not necessarily uh an easy watch I I think that would be a bit uh, reductive but it is an important film I think and it's like an hour and a half. So I think if you have Netflix and um, a free evening, it's, it's worth checking out. Nice. Um, I don't, I, I, there's not too much to say by way of plot or anything, but it's just this really honest sort of like, what the fuck everybody, this is what's been going on. So can we change it? Hmm. And it's nice. not one of those documentaries. Where you're like, well, what's the other side? It's like, that's the side. So let's do better everybody. Yeah. Um, so again, it's called disclosure trans lives on screen, but the part you'll see is disclosure. It's in big, bold writing. It's hard to miss. And I, I think check it out. And you haven't seen, have you even seen this advertised Johnny? Um, like around the time it was released, I remember seeing some pop-up ads for it. 
Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. It didn't seem like it had a huge um, marketing budget or anything like that, but it's gotten really great responses critically. I think as of July, it was holding a 98% approval rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. And it's, it's just, it's a worthwhile, probably look into something that you don't think about day to day. If you're uh, people with voices in America, I guess. Yeah. And you're not trans. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So check nice. Out. That sounds, that sounds fascinating. That makes, I kind of want to check that out. I like learning about things that I don't know much about. And that's one thing that I'm not, not super well informed on. Totally. So I, I will be checking that out. That is disclosure. The 2020 documentary on Netflix. Stream it now. Let us know what you think. Okay, so let's break form a little bit, or potentially break form. Do you, sir, want to go for our second beer, or do you want to dive into our Charlie Kaufman film? Whoa. I wasn't ready for this question. I know. It's a lot of pressure. Oh, no. Let's do movie first. I got I to gotta <clears throat> stick with format. Okay. In that case, what we're going to do is play a trailer for Disclosure. Then right after that, you'll hear the fun dun 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 sound, and then we'll play a trailer for the new Charlie Coffin film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, and we'll come back and talk about that. If you haven't seen it yet, don't worry. It's pretty new to Netflix. We're not going to spoil anything, but sit back, enjoy these trailers, and we'll be back with you momentarily. I can't even tell you how many times I've been in public space, particularly early in my transition, when I would walk into a subway car and people would just burst into laughter. And I think people are to have been trained to have that reaction. According to a study from GLAD, 80% of Americans don't actually personally know someone who is transgender. So most of the information that Americans get about who transgender people are, what our lives are and are about, comes from the media. We've been around since there was uh, footage. You just have to look for us. Can we all just talk about D.W. Griffith for a minute? Not only is he incredibly racist, but he turned gender non-conforming people into the joke. So it's like you can't have like queer trans people and blackness in the same space at the same time. So what's it say about my queer trans black ass? They've died so many times they can't even count on camera. I've been a prostitute, prostitute one, prostitute two, call girl, hooker, you know. The crying game created a ripple effect. You are a trans person who existed, made people physically ill was the way in which my favorite movie as a child ended. There are lots of ugly things about our history, but I think we have to know them. I have been beaten. I have been thrown in jail for gay liberation. And you all treat me this way? There is a one-word solution to almost all the problems in trans media. We just need more. And that way, the occasional clumsy representation wouldn't matter as much because it wouldn't be all that there is. You see a fierceness that's coming up now. That's because we ain't got nothing to lose. These are my sisters up here, but the struggle is real. The ways in which trans people have been represented have suggested that we're mentally ill, that we don't exist. And yet here we are, and we've always been here. Jake, my boyfriend. It's snowing. Winter is coming in. We have a real connection, a rare and intense attachment. I've never experienced anything like it. I'm thinking of ending things. Huh? What? Did you say something? I don't think so. Weird. 
I'm visiting Jake's parents for the first time. He hasn't been my boyfriend for very long. They really are looking forward to meeting you. I think you're ending things. Hello? We're here. Oh, hi. Oh, it's all wet. <laughs> Seeing them as they were. Seeing them as they will be. Seeing them after they're gone. I'm thinking of it. Did you stay here? Excuse me? You don't have to go. I don't have to go where? Forward. People like to think of themselves as points moving through time. But I think it's the opposite. We're stationary. And time through us blowing like cold wind maybe this is how it was always going to end okay so that was a trailer for again the film new to netflix i'm thinking of ending things give you a little brief thing about it so early into their relationship maybe six or seven weeks a young woman played by jesse buckley accepts her boyfriend jake's invitation he jake is played by jesse plemons to go meet his parents at their childhood home at his childhood home and they get there and if i can call back to that spooky cliffhanger it becomes clear that things aren't exactly what they seem uh, this, this is the third uh, film directed by charlie kaufman maybe you've seen synecdoche new york came out in 2008 or anomalisa that came out in 2015 or if you're unfamiliar with his name in general, he also wrote Being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He earned an Oscar for that, uh, for Best Original Screenplay. I think there's a pretty good chance that between those five or six movies, people have seen some, if not most, of his work. Johnny, you've seen mm-hmm. – I know you've seen, I think, most of that, right? Yes. Okay. In that case, uh, for a little bit of uh, frame of reference, Kaufman seems in this film to just kind of fix on his normal ideas. He's got art – identity, legacy, and in true Kaufman fashion, the existential dread and just kind of seeming dire pointlessness of it all, which I feel is really fitting in 2020. Like I've, I told you earlier, I watched this movie for a second time, which might've been a mistake because it's just, it's a little grim, but yeah, that is you my said wheelhouse. That and I was like, why? <laughs> I know it's, it's typically my wheelhouse. I'm into it. Um, so do you hate p- yourself? Probably not a surprise to you Bro. at least. That I was drawn into this film from the get. I also super dug the on-screen relationship and like the weird chemistry between Plemons and Buckley. And honestly, if you give me Tony Collette acting a little weird around a dinner table after seeing Hereditary, like I'm hooked. But I'm a big sucker for unconventional storytelling in general. And I don't think it's too spoilery to say that this is definitely an unconventional story. Um, just for notes, it's also one that was originally a novel by a dude named Ian Reed. 
And I think there's probably an argument to be made that an adaptation of a story like this from page to screen doesn't work. I, I'm not going to make that argument, but it's probably there. I will say this movie is a slow burn and it's a long one coming in around two hours and 14 minutes. So if extended snowy car rides and intentionally pretentious Pauline Kael impressions aren't your thing, this film might not be either. Um, I mean, Johnny, I've again, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. I kind of have a general idea of your thoughts on this, but I kind of want to know what you thought you were going to get yourself into after having seen some of his other work um, and, and what your takeaway or many takeaways might have been after after watching it and sitting with it for as long as we have. Yeah. So initially my thoughts were this is going to be probably sort of like an abstract love story slash I was assuming just from the title that this was going to deal with mortality and suicide sure. and depression and some like of the darker aspects, um, you know, of, of life and what have you just obviously just from the title. So yeah. just, just having a movie called that, it kind of tells you that you're in for something serious and somber and a bit not lighthearted. So I was expecting something along those lines and what I got was something viciously more abstract sure. and amalgamous without a lot of hard edges and concrete form. Um, it's a movie where if you're not paying close attention to the screen, you won't catch things, but like things yeah. are constantly <laughs> changing. Yeah. This movie is, is very fluid, but yeah. also nonlinear, which is very confusing. And uh, I found myself not necessarily enjoying the viewing experience. It was definitely a tough movie to sit through. It was, mm. it, for me, it was a very tedious watch. Um, just because I kind of am a fan of, of things with a more linear like plot. Sure. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to some left and right turns. Like I'm not a, a simpleton, for God's sakes. <laughs> I can understand some of the complexities of art. Sure, I know sure, I'm sure. the beer half of this relationship, but I'm not a total idiot. <laughs> So I, I'm not saying that I need like a Disney movie every time, but yeah. most of the time I want to be entertained. And if a movie is trying to be thought provoking, I want my thoughts provoked, but I would like a, probably a bit more clear cut plot. And to me, this movie, I mean, also you're talking about Charlie Kaufman, like sometimes things get from A to B uh, in a seriously wonky way. And this did that in, like you said, a tumultuously long two hours and 14 minutes. Uh, so overall, I mean, I don't think I really enjoyed this film at all. Uh, I couldn't tell you any one thing that this movie was about. I think it was entirely steeped in metaphor on metaphor on metaphor. And I mean, there's there's overarching themes that it touches on. Um but I don't know if any of those overarching themes actually define this as a movie or summarize what it's specifically about. So for me, it was just it was too much without shape to be enjoyable. Um, so I could see how someone would like it. it. If it's definitely like the abstract painting of the movie world, where yeah. it's very it's this movie is like impressionistic. Um, hmm. And if that's your thing, and you want something that's very like I said, without shape and open for interpretation and you kind of, you know, if you, or if you do research, I mean, people that know more about film than I do might see the allegory more specifically and gain more, more firm meaning than I did. But, but for me and where I'm at with my mind and its limitations, uh, I wasn't super into it. 
Yeah, it's interesting you point out that if you're not watching this movie, you're going to miss stuff. And, and similarly to you, I was like, I feel like I'm watching it really closely and I also feel like I'm missing stuff. Like, am I going to <laughs> I like, think- what's happening? And it, it's also a tough movie to talk about without spoiling stuff. Obviously, like I, I think letting people know that it's certainly not A to B linear is, is probably fine because I don't know how much outside of performances and maybe cinematography we can actually divulge without saying at least that. Um, but it is like it's a tedious watch for sure. I mean, the movie in general is pretty bleak and I think it only becomes more bleak when you sort of catch on to the, I don't know the, uh, what it's doing, I guess is the vaguest way I can say it. Um, cause there is a moment, at least for me where I was like, and it happened very close to the end of the movie where I was just like, Oh, that's what's happening. And everything made sense. But particularly up to that point, it was like, what, what is what like what's the connection between people why is x y and z happening the way that it's happening and that does make for um definitely not a disney movie type viewing experience so you should know that going into this movie yeah for sure um i so i don't know i i think this is going to be a a film that is very juicy in the danger zone but i kind of do want to keep it brief here i suppose um yeah but, i but think I, that makes sense yeah, I just I think like what I said when I was kind of entering this is like the two leads I think are great in this. Um I do feel like Jesse Plemons is sort of not getting typecast, but he tends to play like um like almost a creepy kind of pervy dude. Like do you remember in Game Night where he was the neighbor slash cop? Yeah. He was like always trying to come to their game nights and he was he was always casting like half of his face was in shadow. And he also did he was like the creepy IT guy in a in a Black Mirror episode. Yeah, and he was in uh, El Camino as like a creepy hitman. Oh, I didn't see El Camino, but yeah, sure. Like he he plays that role a lot, and and, and there's moments in this movie, particularly early on, where it's like maybe maybe he's just that forever. And then I think I mean he gets more development kind of throughout the movie, but um, I don't I don't know. He's he's good. He's definitely good. Jesse Buckley's very good as well. Um, she was in Wild Rose, which came out last year, and I haven't had a chance to catch that yet. But I've heard it's fantastic. Obviously, Tony Collette's amazing. David Thewlis, if you're watching this movie and you're like, why does that dad look familiar? Uh, probably it's because he played, um, what's his name? Uh, Professor Lupin in Harry yeah, Potter. Harry Potter. <laughs> I was looking, I was like, is that him? Is he the werewolf? Right. Um, and I mean, there's there's a smattering of various cast members that come in and out of this movie. But the other one I wanted to mention was this character played by Guy Boyd. He's a janitor at a high school. And we get these little intercut scenes of him that last less than 30 seconds, mostly. And that's kind of one of these main puzzle pieces. You're like, what does this guy have to do with it? Um, Did you key into, this is tricky. Did you key into him early on? Like, did you um, put that puzzle piece into place or was it sort of something that uh, didn't hit you till later or maybe not until now? Who knows? No, I think it was like middle of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was while they were still in the house. Yeah, okay, sure. And this is so vague. We need I know. to see if this for the like, danger zone. I, I, this is great for people that have seen it. And, and I think yeah. to some extent, like that's a reward for seeing the movie. You can par- participate in this conversation and not feel left out. But I, 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 the reason I bring it up is not just to make people feel like if they haven't seen the movie, they're dumb. I just think like that one, once that clicked into place, and for me it was very early, I was like, okay, like I'm going to watch the rest of this film through th- this hypothetical lens that I've created. Well, it's pretty funny as we could be talking about two completely different things right now, too. If not, yeah, it's true. I think we're on the same page. You think? I but do. You, you don't know? No, that's true. We'll find out later, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will also say that there's this really touching scene between uh, the 
janitor played by Guy Boyd and, and Jesse Buckley's character pretty late in the movie um, that really got me. Uh, and that's all I'm, I, I said, I want to say where it happened or what happened, but it, it was just this very cathartic sort of emotional moment between the two of them that I wasn't expecting. Um, and it was very nice. And it, it, it was this sort of morbid bow that was tied on a pretty sad thing, but it was, it was a nice moment, you know? Fair enough. Also, just in the interest of being vague, all I will say is that I'm a, I'm a big fan of like a musical slash dance break number. And boy, does this have one. Loved it. I loved it. It, it definitely <laughs> had one. And I know you hated it, but I loved it I so much. I wasn't sure why it was happening I know. at all. I know. Uh, and again, we'll talk about that in the danger zone. But um, so overall, sounds like not a huge fan of this movie. I can't imagine you'll go back and watch it again. No, definitely not. Um, and it's funny because I think this movie was really well made and I think it was visually very nice to look at. I think like it was a well made and probably like good movie, but it wasn't a good movie to me. And it, you know I what I mean? You. Like, yeah, I got you. It, like, it, I don't know. It was confusing. It was like, well, that seemed like really high production value and there was really cool scenes and okay, but was it a good movie? Do you know and what? I, I don't know. Yeah. Do you know what lucid dreaming is? Yes, I think. Yes. If you don't know, uh, people listening, lucid dreaming is the idea that you can be asleep having a dream, but then your conscious mind is like, oh, we're dreaming. None of this is real. It's a very rare thing. Some people can do it on command. Um, But most of the time you have a dream. You're not aware you're having that dream. And then you wake up and you're like, what the fuck was going on in that dream? And you're like, why did I even think that made sense? And this movie captures sort of like the dream logic but you're aware that you're watching that logic and your brain is, or at least mine was like trying to wrap my head or like it couldn't do it. Like this doesn't make sense, but I know it's not making sense. So just rationalize it. And I couldn't do it. It It's like watching inception, but way more, uh, broad. Yeah. Which is insane. And it's part of the reason I watched it twice. I was like, did I miss a ton of stuff the first time? And, and yes, but also no, like that's, that's how it's meant to be watched. (laughs) And you're meant to feel a little crazy. I think. Yeah, it definitely is meant to like unsettle you and make you feel a little unstable because and that's just not what I'm in the mood for these days. But Johnny, in a Kaufman sense, isn't life a little unstable? Aren't we all oh, yeah. a little bit headed to over a cliff and we're all sort of screwed? We're I mean, all obviously. just <laughs> for me, this movie made so much sense this year. And I was just like, yeah, of course, like what a what a great, accurate way to sum up life. Sure. Yeah. I suppose. Um, before we uh, break into our next beer, I just wanted to mention like the idea of art in this movie. I think it's like Jesse Plemons character, Jake is, is so much about like referencing obscure poets or painters or, or novelists or movies or plays. Like he's this unassuming character at first, but then um, Jesse Buckley will be like, well, I didn't know you were a fan of musicals. And he lists like 15 musicals and it's like, okay, I guess like you're into this. And the idea Um, I mean, Charlie Kaufman as a director, the director is not a young dude. He's like 60 something. Um, and he's in an interview, he called this movie, I believe the phrase was his swan song. Like this might be kind of his last sort of, here's my movie and I'm gonna do whatever I want with it. So convention and storytelling be damned. I'm going to tell the story the way I want. Um, so the idea of like what art is or should be, or, or what artists can aspire to be runs pretty strongly throughout this movie. And, and there's, there's a scene where they have left his parents' house and they're talking about the film, a woman under the influence. 
And Jesse Buckley does this impression of somebody I was not aware of, but I mentioned it earlier, is, is this um, film critic named Pauline Kael, um, who lived from, I think, like 1920 to 1990-something. Um, and if you look up some of her stuff, it's a spot-on impression. And basically, this whole movie can be read as a commentary on contemporary art and what that can mean to somebody and the positive and negative, potentially, effects that it can have on their trajectory in life. And that's something, as an aspiring artist, I hope, um, I latched onto very strongly. Okay. It's like, nice. what is, what is like, what am I doing? And if, does it have a purpose? And if it doesn't, should I be doing it? Who knows? And I, that's a, <laughs> that's a very interesting question to me. And one that during the course of a pandemic where I'm stuck at home, hammering away on a piano, singing Moana songs on request, like a dancing monkey really mm-hmm. resonated with me. <laughs> uh, so I think a lot of this movie can, can be absorbed, um, depending on your walk of life in a very personal sense. So that's I, maybe, maybe that's why I went back for a second visit on a Tuesday. Wednesday. I don't know what day it is. It's Wednesday. Anything else on this movie before we open our second beer? Uh, nope. I think I'm there, man. Okay. When we get back to it, we will spoil some stuff. So if you haven't seen it, I'd say watch it. But before we even do that, we're going to open our second beer. Whoa, 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 I did whoa. It. I did it again. Easy there, guy. I'm excited, for, uh, I'm excited for this next beer, but you're right. Go ahead. Yeah. In tradition, <laughs> in keeping with tradition, yeah. young Maxwell forgot we have to rate this movie before... We take a break yeah. and get to our second beer. So, Max, calm down yep. and tell me, please, out of 10, <sighs> what do you rate I'm thinking of ending things? I'm going to – I think it's a pretty solid eight for me. I'm flirting between an eight and a nine, but I think just just by virtue of the sheer despair that it kind of makes me feel, I can't give it a nine. <laughs> but, I, like, performance is great. The weird storytelling stuff, the blending of uh, – no, I won't even say that. I'm going to give it an eight. I enjoyed it as something that it was. I don't think it was objectively enjoyable. Like the lighthouse did not like watching that movie, but I enjoyed it as a film. So it's an eight for me. Where are you at? That doesn't, that doesn't even make sense. Wait, crazy person. I'll hash it out for you. What do you, what doesn't make sense? You wait, you enjoy it as a film, but you don't like it. Um, the experience was not pleasant, but, but as like a it. film, yeah, I really respect it. I, I, I think that it has a lot of truth in it. Um, and, and truth isn't always pleasant and I'm fine with at least the logic of that. That's a good way to put that. Thanks. Uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Huh? Yeah. For me, I think this movie, it's like a, like a, probably like a four two. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Like uh, definite points for like, like I said earlier, good filmmaking and cinematography and, and whatnot. But yeah, I did not like it overall and I'm not giving it points for anything sure <laughs> i don't know that's just how i feel man it's a four two okay fair enough okay that's again i'm thinking of ending things it's on netflix um i guess i've lost my chance do you want to take us to our actual break yeah we will be right back after these messages from us about our friends at the handlebar ladies and gentlemen if you live in Northern California and have access to this wonderful restaurant called The Handlebar, you probably know that it's been really smoky for a week. And if you're like me, you've been craving going there but haven't been able to because it's also a pandemic happening. So the good news is the air is clear. The happy hour, seven days a week, is still alive. You get dollars off of beer. And it's just a good place to go. Sit on the patio. Check out The Handlebar. They're a great local business. They support our show. They're located at 2070 East 20th Street right here on the south end of town. Again, the Handlebar Chico, grab a beer, grab some food. It's all good. We're all going to be great. Go support a local business, and we'll see you on the other side. 
Okay, Johnny Summers, after my atrocious <laughs> attempted transition into our second beer, the moment has finally arrived. What is our second beer of the day? Yes, sir, you are the least smooth criminal. <laughs> right now, we are drinking <laughs> Chasing Darkness, <laughs> sure. brewed by Timber Ales out of New Haven, Connecticut. It is an imperial stout. The version we are drinking has vanilla and cassia bark. It is a 12% ABV Big Mama Jamma. Big Mama Jamma. And as I understand it, you have a little bit of information that you have gleaned from the founder slash head brewer, Jason Stein, who told you a little bit about the origins of this beer. Am I right? Yeah, you're 100% correct. I reached out to them and we were able to have a bit of a typed out interview slash dialogue, which was really fun. I uh, got to know him a little bit and get some of the backstory about him, his brewery, and this beer. So, to quote young Jason Stein, uh, Chasing Darkness is what I call an ever-evolving stout series. The name came from the idea of chasing the perfect recipe for my favorite style to brew, the Imperial Stout. The recipe itself was something I developed as a home brewer, and evolving part, the evolving part is that after each batch, I've continued to make tweaks here and there to go to, to get that perfect recipe for my palate. The first batch done on the commercial scale was brewed in February 2020, and it was toasted coconut. And the second batch that we are drinking was brewed in June. Uh, all the stouts are brewed for barrels, and portion is adjuncted fresh to toe the line of today's adjunct stout, but not be a full-blown pastry style. So. So. Have, have you poured it? I have poured it. Me too. It smells real nice. It's gross. I'm what? just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's not gross. But can you, what if it was? Uh, no, man, it's really good. Um, I was I was just thinking, like, what if what if we did like because you love not maybe not love, but you're a fan of a coconut stout asterisk if it doesn't taste artificial. And I yeah. was I was just thinking like the balance of vanilla. And if you don't know uh, Cassia Bark, by the way, um, it's basically cinnamon. Um, it's not the same exactly, but people sometimes call it Chinese cinnamon. Um, but it's for all intents and purposes in what we're doing, it's vanilla and cinnamon in the stout. And the balance between those two things is, uh, is quite tasty. It's, it's one of the more successful pairings of those two flavors that I've had in a while. And I'm also coming off a little bit, um, a little bit, uh, apprehensive after our two sort of, I don't know, missed marks with the black is beautiful from, um, revision and, uh, what other one do we do? Urban roots and urban roots. Yeah. Um, and I was just, I'm like, had my fingers crossed basically since you gave me this beer earlier, was like, give me a good stout, give me a good stout. And, mm -hmm. and I, at least for my palate, I'm happy to report this is that it's thick. 12% is right where it's at for an Imperial stout with this much sweetness because of that vanilla and cinnamon. It's like, I need that sweetness to balance out with the alcohol and, and it's a really, really well-made beer and I've only had one sip, but have you tried yours yet? Yeah, I've taken a few sips because I want to just keep drinking it. This beer is tremendous. Yeah, It strikes this really nice balance of, like you said, heat to sweetness. The That cassia bark and the vanilla are playing off each other perfectly in this, like, it reminds me of, like, almost like a cinnamon toast crunch type mm. thing. And this beer is smooth, man. It gives you a nice, smooth mouthfeel. It drinks easy. Like, it goes down smooth front to back it's just an enjoyable experience from the smell to the taste to the mouthfeel the spear is really good yeah i mean there's definitely heat from from the alcohol but i it's not it's not egregious or offensive in any way it's just it's very present and it's like hey i am a strong stout 
which man, if I, if I had a nickel for every time that I'd been like, you know, this is too thin. I would have, I'd have a pocket full of nickels, you know? Yep. You'd be like, uh, that gal that sings about the sunshine, but instead you'd have, you'd have nickels. What? I got a pocket pocket (laughs) full of sun. Max has got a pocket, got a pocket full of nickels. nickels. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just throw them in a sock and I'll beat people up with it. That's a thing, son. Right. That's the thing. You like, you shove nickels in a sock and you hit people. Yeah, totally. We don't, but people have done that. Absolutely. Okay. Um, no, man, this is, this is really good. Um, it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit carbonated for, and again, I'm, we're already, if it's not clear, like I'm going to start nitpicking cause that's all I can do at this point. It's a little carby for me, but that's really reaching cause it's yeah, pretty come, enjoyable. How cold yeah, is yours on. by the way? Uh, it's been out this whole time since like we started the show. Correct. Okay. Mine too. Um, so we're probably at a similar temperature. Are you super fine with everything about it? Anything sticking out as maybe not perfect? Yeah, no, to me, I think, I mean, it's a little hot, but I mean, it's a 12% beer. So if you're complaining about it being hot, you're just playing the wrong game. Good, sir. So, Mm -hmm. uh, no, I don't think this beer has any bristly edges that disagree with me at all. I think this is, uh, as advertised. And I think the adjuncts really, really mix well with this style. And I think it definitely, his goal was to not, you know, overproduce this and, and not go full blown pastry and, it definitely still has like some of the the roasty, like a little bitter, uh, not incredibly like milkshakey sweet. Totally, uh, in a as a pastry stout would have, and I really appreciate that that dedication to what is definitive of the imperial stout style. So I think the the cassia bark and the vanilla really just accentuate the existing traditional style as opposed to elevating it into something else that's completely different into that pastry stout range. So. I think this this beer is is absolutely phenomenal. Like it knocked it out of the park. Yeah, I would love to try cinnamon and cassia bark side to side because so often vanilla is this really overpowering sweetness. And I feel like what you're saying, it, there is a really great balance of like not drowning you in sweetness. Like there's this really um, like, of course it's hot from the alcohol, but also like this heat from the spices that is just like, it's like almost incensey. I don't I don't think that's I've never used that as a description before, but like. I would say aromatic. Sure. Aromatic. Yeah. But it really does remind me of like a, like a, like an oil reed, you know, things in like holidays you put like, it's it's like a little pot of oil and you put little reeds in it to kind of make it like a, like a mold spice. Yeah. Like there is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just cinnamon that I'm tasting it or maybe I am tasting it, but I'm associating other stuff, but there's, you could definitely, I would say clove possibly maybe a little. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, so it's you're a very saying holiday this is spicy the, kind of thing. I was going to say, so you're saying this is like the perfect fall beer. It might be, man. And maybe I'm just yearning for fall, but it's, this is very solid. I'm, I'm super stoked on this beer. It's a great, great call. I would, I would say this beer tastes like fall in a can. Sure. Yeah. I'd put this up against like, uh, I would love to taste it side by side with a, a Christmas bomb from Prairie. Mm, that beer's nice. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, what, we, what a compliment to even be put in that sentence though. Like, <laughs> I know, uh, but there's yeah. every now and again, we'll get a beer on this show where it's like, this could hold its own against like whatever a list beer is on the market. But like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm quite enjoying this, I guess. Absolutely. Me least. too. And what a great introduction to this brewery. I mean, bravo. Yeah. 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 Um, you said this was S and S as well here in Chico. Um, yes. They're coming all the way from Connecticut. So I assume it's probably at any reputable bottle shop again. So yeah, this should be getting it. around. 
Johnny, describe the label. Um, it what appears to be like golden hour of a sunset and a man like jogging through a forest with like really pretty fall colors. You've got like the the trees, the sunsets reflecting, and it goes from really dark, almost you know black, down to these lighter reds and golden browns into these nice light yellows and into like white clouds in the distance. It's really cool, man. It's a great label. Yeah, I like how minimalistic it is in terms of the actual writing on it. It only says Chasing Darkness on the very front side, and then you get a little bit more detail on the sides. But it's a very – these are these are this is a good uh, – between the two beers this episode, it's a very aesthetically pleasing visually uh, lineup. Good work. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Uh, um, big, big, big shout out to whoever picks the beers out for this show. They did a great <laughs> okay. job this week. Can you reach that far around your own neck and pat your back? Do that for me if you I can. I can. <laughs> is it too early to rate this? No, I don't think it's not. I don't think it's too early. I think it's time. Okay. Uh, out of 10, what you got? Uh, for me out of 10, this beer, oof, you know, this is, this is a, this is a big rating for me. You're going, I'm going to, I think I know your rating. This beer is a nine, two. Oh, well, I was going to say like nine, four, but okay. Nine, wow, two. That's pretty close. This is a phenomenal beer. Yeah. This is, yeah. Uh, if I see something from Timber Ales, my ears and my, mouth taster thing tongue is gonna like my, my tongue's gonna perk your, up yeah your mouth taster yeah sure. my mouth taster is gonna be like at the ready <laughs> uh i uh, really am yeah. impressed by this guy's work shout yeah. out to jason stein yeah, and thanks, jason timber ales we really appreciate you reaching out uh and i'm very pleased to say that this beer is a nine two uh, i would definitely seek this one out and give it a try drink it uh, slightly below room temperature, let it warm up in your glass. This beer has an amazing yeah. nose. It's a very delightful drinking experience. And it really does remind me of fall. It is a, a fantastic introduction into the changing of the seasons and an absolutely tremendous debut on this show from a new brewery. So 100% keep an eye out for Timber Ales. I feel like you should have gone second because all I was going to say is like, this is, a, yeah, I like, I really enjoy this beer. Again, the vanilla and cassia bark balance is so good. I would still want to know like cinnamon to cassia bark side by side because this just feels so much more nuanced to me and it feels like a very layered beer. Um, so it's a, it's a solid nine for me. Like my only my only qualm is that sort of carbonation and a little bit, um, maybe a little bit yeah. too sweet as it finishes, but that's it's again, super nitpicky. That's right. It's a nine. Like you have to say only reason you're saying something because it's going to be like, why is it not a 10? Exactly. And I, I don't really differentiate between like, I don't, I don't do decimals as often as you do. So for me, it's either a nine or a 10 and it, and it's a nine, so, but it's a very, very strong nine. Right. Um, oh, yeah. and, and same as you, like if I see another Tim Braille's beer around Chico, for sure, I will grab it so quick. How much was this by the way? I don't remember. I want to say it was around the $8 range. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like eight, eight or nine bucks, something like that. Yeah, I mean, if you're in town, and, and granted, it's a weird time, so you're probably not going to that many bottle shares, but if you grab a beer to bring home for your roommates who also like craft beer, they will definitely give you a firm, enthusiastic handshake for bringing this beer home. It's 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 very solid. That six-foot handshake. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of an air, sort of air five, <laughs> I think is what it is. Yeah, man. I think if you're Absolutely. roommates, you know, you're you're probably breaking that law oh you mean my wife yeah but not everybody is lucky enough to be married i suppose so maybe you have you're freshly 22 and you're like hey i know you guys are all drinking keystone i'm a craft beer boy and they're like craft beer that's pretentious and you're like oh yeah why don't you chase some darkness my friend and then they're like no more keystone if anyone in real life referred to themselves as a craft beer boy just like you did i think i might like tackle them 
you never tackled me, and I, I'm a, I'm an easily self-proclaimed craft beer boy. Oh, buddy, I'm fine with it. All right, I'm gonna get you a shirt, like hot pink, and it just says craft beer boy. Done, but keep sleeves on. I don't like the sleeveless stuff; it's weird. It's gonna be a bro tank. No. Yup. Whatever, it's fine. I'll wear it. I've, I've bought you shirts. You've given me shirts, so fine. I'll wear it. I don't care. That's right. Let's do this. Okay, once again, that's Chasing Darkness from Timber Ales. It's a 9.2 for Johnny, and it's a 9 for me. We are going to continue sipping on this goodness and moving right along into the section of the show called Hot and Bothered, where we talk about what's got us very excited or maybe a little bit bummed out in any given, in this case, uh, almost three weeks. So, Johnny, you first. Uh, Let's get the bothered out of the way. Yeah, the bothered is just everything. I mean, there's really no way around saying anything less specific than everything. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you're outside for longer than 20 minutes, your chest starts to hurt. Like, I had to come home and, like, not speak and lay down for, like, 20 minutes so, like, I wouldn't lose my voice and my chest would stop hurting. Yeah. And that's, like, after wearing an N95 all day. But I have to be out working in it. So it's it's just, like, life in general is a little frustrating um, because the only saving grace for a long time – uh, was being able to go outside and go to the river and go mm. on hikes and like be active outside. And that has since been stripped away. So I'm not telling anyone anything they don't already know, but just well, so you know, I'm, I'm bothered by that too. So we're all in the same boat together. <laughs> sure. And at the very least that should make it a little bit easier to deal with, but that's a perfect segue into my hots this week because being bothered by everything outside leads me to have to find enjoyment inside mm-hmm. And there's been some really fun things coming out in the world of pop culture that I've been diving into, like with both feet, just hard dive. You don't uh, dive diving, with your feet. Diving, diving, I was just going to say, yeah. <laughs> I've been like hard penciling. Yeah, in you've been penciled the pool with sure. my feet. Um, yeah, so the remake of the 1999 classic Tony Hawk's Pro Skater just came out. Wow. Like, cool couple weeks ago on uh, ps4 and it's got the full remastered like uh complete games of pro skater one and two all on one game yeah so i've been playing the shit out of tony hawk pro skater one and two on ps4 it's and also on xbox 360 by the way you should maybe look into it wait Uh, one, one and two or the not the new one yeah the brand new one you're saying the brand new one came out on do you mean xbox one yeah, whatever. Okay, the, I cool. don't know I Xbox like they, stuff. They backdated. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. Sure. You have an Xbox One, yeah? I do. I have both. And I was like, are you telling me that? Because you know that I have a 360. But yeah, sure. Well, no, whatever. It's It came out on the newest totally. shit. Cool. So yeah, I bought that the day it came out. I had it pre-ordered, picked it up, played it all weekend, been playing it nonstop, almost have both games at 100%, nice. working on the Easter eggs now, but just so much fun. But, I mean, speaking uh, of from earlier, I don't even know that we mentioned it, but like that that gangstar song uh, moment of truth was on like you and i both said like dave mira's pro bmx like speaking of video game soundtracks like tony hawk games had it locked mm-hmm. in they, like that's where it's at do they keep the original Dude, soundtracks i guess is the my question. whole original soundtrack yeah. and then they they added like 50 more songs of course they did that's it's great it's so dope you have to get it it's so much fun okay done i how it doesn't matter how much was it though just out of curiosity uh, it was brand new it was only like 40 bucks i don't care for, I'll do it let's do it yeah dude and like if you're like me and you played those games till your fingers bled. Like I had uh, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater One on Nintendo sixty four yeah. back in the old cartridge yeah. Yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so much fun! And the levels are so true to form. They just re 
like reformatted them, like like made them pretty. Yeah, but they're they're almost identical. So like, wait, they really didn't change much aesthetically. Was like, was it Tony Hawk three that had? Because I there's like one level that I think starts the game, and because I don't think for a long time I didn't have like a memory card, <laughs> so I just play and then I'd have to restart it the next day. But there's one in an airplane hangar, and I think it was Tony Hawk Pro Skater three, but I'm not sure. Does that ring a bell? No, that's two. Two it started is? at the aircraft hangar in Montana. Oh, I didn't know it was in Montana. But yeah, like and you if gotta, you, you gotta and crash if you grind the across the helicopter, yeah, yeah, yeah. it opens up a secret area. <laughs> it oh, still shit. does that. Of course it does. It's like one of the coolest parts that I forgot that I knew about until it, just now. Right? And like I was playing the training and I was playing as Tony Hawk just to like remember, you know? Yeah. And I like got the special bar. Wait, for you said full. that like he was dead. Just to remember oh, Tony Hawk. No, like just to remember how to play the game yeah, and like you yeah. get the buttons back down. Cause it's been Probably since I was like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah. So it's been fifteen. Like no, it's been like eighteen, dude. It's been like eighteen years we since I was fifteen. Yeah, yeah, sure. Oh my, it's God. fine. It's fine. Move along. You're young. You're young at heart. An, a, a child born when I was fifteen is now an adult. Yeah. Is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're like, what's Tony Hawk? <laughs> exactly. What kind of bird um, is that? Yeah, but anyways, I was playing as Tony Hawk during the training. And I remembered all of his special moves. I don't know how. Oh shit! Cool. But it was it was just muscle memory. Like yeah. I knew the buttons to push to do a nine hundred. It and all the mm-hmm. little noises. Like when you may do a mm-hmm. special move, mm-hmm. it makes that dun. Yeah, oh, yeah, dude. Yeah. It, it's it's so fun. So you have to get it. You have to come over and play it from six feet away. We can drink beers and stay socially distant and rip some sweet combos. I'll just give uh, me a wireless controller and I'll just sit outside your house and just look through the window. But <laughs> that would be so ridiculous. I'm down, dude. That sounds great. Or like, let's find a projector and we'll do it in your backyard. Yeah. Or you could just come sit in my living room and stay six feet away because we're not true. crazy people. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I just think Square the idea mask. of watching through a window or playing through a window is funnier. It is funny. Can we just give you a little like table out there to hold your beer? <laughs> so this is not uh, necessarily relevant. My first experience with video games was that one Christmas... Um, and this, I must've been like six or seven. Cause it was like just when my parents got divorced and we had our first Christmas, like back together. Um, cause they toughed it out for us. And I opened up a present and it was, um, a Nintendo 64 controller, just the controller, nothing else. Okay. And I went, this is cool. Is there a, like, I'm grateful, but like, is there, is there the rest of it? And my mom goes, well, no. But now you can take your controller, and if your friends are playing down the street, you can say, hey, plug me in, and I want to play with you. (laughs) (laughs) And Even at six, I was like, mom, nobody likes that guy. That guy sucks. That's so fucked up. An hour later, I I opened up a Nintendo 64, but for a minute there, they had me convinced. That is a fantastic troll. Great prank. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love it. I I didn't didn't have the nerve to be like, everyone's going to hate me. But more I than sh- they yeah. do. I know, like everybody already hates me, but more. Yeah, cool. Uh, anyways, yep. that's amazing. So, anyways, that's that's one of my hots is Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. I can't wait to play it with you, Max. That'd be great. I will dominate you. I'll bring my own controller. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> great. Uh, what else, uh, man? Uh, my other thing is I've been watching a new show, and it is streaming on HBO. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Prime Video if you want to subscribe or pay for it, whatever there. Right. Their uh, channel. We watch it through Prime. I don't know. I just asked Trillian to put it on and it came on. Cool. Um, so I am talking about Lovecraft Country. It is a fantasy horror 
obviously H.P. Yeah. Lovecraft inspired series uh, that is airing currently. It's uh, an appointment based television show. So you're going to get an hour. I think it's on Sundays. We usually watch it throughout the week um, just after it's dropped on demand. But yeah. they're 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 airing weekly on HBO uh, and it is. Basically, imagine everything about H.P. Lovecraft yep. reimagined through an African-American lens, which is amazing because historically speaking, H.P. Lovecraft is was quite massively, yeah. massively racist. Oh, is that true? Like, It's a known fact that he was massively racist. Oh, so shit. it's this kind of awesome like middle finger to history in that like we're telling his stories and using like his lore – uh, but it's all through the eyes of um, a young black man traveling across the United States uh, in like 1950s Jim Crow America, oh, okay. searching for his his missing father. Cool. Um, Who was and, probably a slave? No, Jim Crow America is. Oh, in the 50s, I. I mean, don't if it's his dad, so. maybe. No, or he'd grandpa. be old. He'd be very old. Yeah, his grandpa, I guess, would make more yeah. sense. You're right. Exactly. Um, so yeah, and it is really good and they fully commit to the science fictiony like horror like all these things you wonder if they're going to be in this show about yeah. lovecraft like are we going to see cthulhu like all that shit's within the first like five minutes and you're like what <laughs> yeah, they yeah. totally turn it all up on its head right. and it's really interesting writing and it's fun storytelling but i love that it's all through this this lens of being black in the 1950s and uh, it's really an interesting way to look at all these stories and work in this lore. Sure. Um, and it's also, I, th- I don't know. I just really like it, man. I think it's, I'm a sucker for like, you know, really over the top sci-fi and horror. And this is, it's really scratching that itch. And, uh, you'll recognize, I think you'll recognize Jonathan majors and uh, journey <laughs> Smollett are the two main characters. Uh, the second name rings a bell, but I can't picture. Um, yeah, you can look it up on IMDb. Yeah, they've, okay. they've been in some stuff that you recognize. Um, Jonathan Majors actually just got cast in uh, Ant Man three, so he's going to be popping. Yeah, you know, I so I was going to say like I've oh yeah, Journey Smollett, sure. Um, I've seen previews or, or trailers for for Lovecraft Country, but I I didn't know where it was, and it's kind of on my list. Like, there's a new another HBO show out called uh, Raised by Wolves, which yeah, is also I've on my n- list. I've heard um, nothing but good things about that show. I know, but I also just started um, the TV adaptation of Bong Joon-ho's um, uh, Snowpiercer. Oh, nice. With, I mean, a lot of people, but notably David Diggs, um, which is available for free, by the way. If you go to the, um, I can't think of the network. Off, I think it's TNT. If you go to their okay. website, you just got to deal with the commercials. But like, so my point being, like, I'm, I'm trying to keep up with what's coming out, but there's a lot of stuff, film and TV, that seems to have dropped almost at the same weekend. Right. Um, but okay. I'm, I'm glad to hear that you endorse this cause I've definitely been curious. Yeah. I think it's really cool. And it's actually, um, produced by, um, Jordan Peele done. I mean, yeah, like, he, he's, he's become one of those names. Where I'm like, okay, sure. In. Yeah. If you're yeah, on he's it, an exa- down. His production company is one of the production companies put work on it. And also he's an executive producer tight. And it's also created by a black woman. So that's pretty dope. Yeah, I feel like there's, I mean, obviously there's in the past, uh, certainly five years, probably 10, like an increasingly loud conversation about representation in, in mainstream film and TV and the HBO category that falls in between the two. And yeah, like put your, I'm not proud as somebody who watched the new Disney Mulan, 
uh, to say, like, put your money or put your mouth and put all your money where everybody's mouths, where you want their mouths to be. That's where you should put your money is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. 100%. Okay. Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm glad. glad, Yeah, I'll check it out, man. For sure. Totally. And, And to touch on that point, dude, representation and more angles and more points of view as a consumer and a non-racist, like what more could we ask for? Like how often do we complain till we're blue in the face about another fucking remake of the (laughs) 1980s bullshit? Yeah. Like, dude, hit me with a new lens, bruh. Hit me with that fire, that like new, that stuff that's never been represented on screen. I want to see what you have to say. Not only because it's awesome to be inclusive and, Black people are awesome, but also, also give me something. Like I get it. Like we've done, we've done, we've done a lot yeah, already. Let's seriously, give somebody else a fucking shot. Yes. Yeah. And like as as a consumer of media, I want the fresh. I want the new. I want the different. I don't want the same old. We've all seen it a million times. So shows like Lovecraft Country are yeah. taking that torch and just running, and I absolutely love it. So you should for sure stream an episode or two and check for sure. it out. What was that um, Lovecraft novel that got adapted in a movie with Nick Cage that you were stoked on, but then I watched, and I don't think you've seen it yet? Oh, the uh, space, color yeah, out of space. color out of space. You st- right, you still haven't seen it? No, I need to watch that bad. I would, I would say, given the context of our entire last two minutes, don't, except it is Nick Cage. And there okay. is some something weird, like socially transcendent about him as a figure. So yeah, still you know, watch that. But he yes. just got cast to play Joe Exotic. That's the best. That's great. <laughs> like that's Absolutely the thing that's happening. <laughs> uh, and also, um, that's a Tiger King reference. I don't know how you wouldn't know that, but if you don't, here's another yeah. one. Carol uh, Baskin. You probably know this. Uh, was was um, cast doesn't seem right, but chosen to anointed maybe to be on Dancing with the Stars anointed that seems close enough right like yeah so that's some that's where we're at in america with reality tv and the the family of her first husband that mysteriously disappeared found his body no they they made commercials that are airing during (laughs) dancing with the stars (laughs) that's so this is so twisted and weird and gross it's so meta dude and weird and like yeah because the commercials all the dude's daughters like my name's so and so, and I miss my dad. Oh, it's just like, yeah, dude. The I other, saw the commercial and I was like, whoa. <laughs> the other day you were asking me, like, hey, man, hypothetically, like, at what point do you think people would realize that they're in the apocalypse if they're in the apocalypse? And the, like, we were both joking, like, it would probably be the moment that we saw the atomic bomb mushroom cloud. And it's like, maybe, maybe the mushroom clouds a metaphor for like when Carol Baskin's murdered husband's family makes commercials about her on the show, the reality dancing TV show <laughs> that she's cast on during a pandemic when States are on fire. Like maybe this is it, you know, honestly, dude, it's like we're, we're in a fucking circus sideshow and it's just on fire. It's <laughs> yeah. It's like we're in a Charlie Kaufman dream movie. Is what it's like. Maybe that's why I hated that movie so Maybe. much. Maybe it's, it's just too it, close. I got you. It's just hit too close to home, man. Yeah. I just watched it to feel something again, you know? Watched it the <laughs> second time. I was like, let's give me that. Right. Um, oh, shit. Next stop heroin. Let's okay, go. Buddy. So, so very briefly, just in the interest of talking about new shows, um, if you're a fan of superhero stuff but get a little bit tired of sort of the tried and true conventions, you may be aware of the prime show, The Boys. Um and as Frida. of last, uh, I think Friday, um, early September, 
season two came out and there's, I believe four episodes out now they're doing it. They released three and then they're doing it week by week. Um, and they've kind of turned up the dial on, um, whatever the boys was like the violence and the gore and like Carl Urban just talking like this all the time. So I fucking soups and that's fine. like, if you're into that, you're, you're game and I, I'm, I'm digging it. It's fine. It's a nice escape. Um, so Excellent. check out the boys on Amazon. I think even if you haven't seen season one, go, go check it out. If you, um, like sort of gritty superhero stuff, a little nice. subversion I- of your normal superhero expectations. This makes me very happy because I was a huge fan of season one. Oh yeah. Did you not know that season two came out? No, I just haven't had time to start yeah. it yet because there's yeah. a million things to try and watch. That's what, yeah, agreed. I need to just quit my job so I can watch TV. <laughs> Have you guys heard of Patreon? It's a way to support this show for as little as a dollar a week, and Johnny can I'm quit actually, his job I'm, and watch The Boys. I'm actually going to start an OnlyFans where I just drink beer naked. I, I I would obviously, I'd subscribe. I'd siphon money out of our Patreon and put it towards that, but I would still take the time to subscribe. Yes. Um, okay, and then very lastly, I've started a thing that I'm hoping to keep up, which is for lack of a better phrase, because I haven't really workshopped this too much, song request Mondays. Um, no, nope, that will never do. I recently deleted my Facebook. I'm over it, um, and that'll become more clear when we talk about our sort of halfway episode later this week or next week. Uh, we're covering a documentary called The Social Dilemma Teaser. Um, and it was kind of the final straw. I'm like, I'm just getting rid of my Facebook. It's I've been wanting to do it for a long time. Um, anyways, I'm keeping my Instagram because it feels cleaner somehow. Um, and I'm just basically every Monday going to try to sit down and be like, Hey, what songs do you guys want to hear that I've maybe never heard in my life? And I'll take a minute and try to work it out. And I happened, uh, the other day. And I think I got through maybe like seven or eight in the course of a couple hours, um, where like I posted it and then an hour later went back to check and then spent an hour playing through them. And it went pretty well. Johnny threw in a request for a Moana song and it went fine. Right. I think (laughs) I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I like Moana. There were some that I, like Jared, uh, shout out to Jared again, um, requested a Vampire Weekend song that I'd never heard. But it was like this Oh, you're really, not familiar with The Kids Don't Stand a Chance? You watched my whole story, you sweet man. Um, no. But it was also, really cool I like that song. getting able to flex that sort of creative muscle that I haven't had the chance to do because of a lack of gigs and whatever else, creativity maybe. Um, so it was nice, but yeah, let me see what I can do with this in like five minutes. It was very fun. So good. I guess shameless plug. If you want to participate in that sort of thing, follow me on Instagram it's at Max Minardi Music. I think it's a lot of fun. For Minstrel Mondays, Minstrel Mondays feels at least racially charged. At its very least, probably worse. You could Menstrual Mondays. Menstrual Mondays. That's that's misogynistically charged. How about Menstrual Minstrel Mondays? Just lock it all up in the same horrifying snowball. Yes. Great. <laughs> this bloody string fueled snowball. Um, hey, do you want to talk about sort of maybe the inevitable purposelessness of existence? Do I? Okay, so if you haven't seen I'm Thinking of Ending Things, we are going to spoil it. So pause it now, go watch the movie, come back and listen. Or if you don't care, listen anyways. But we are going into the Danger Zone. Danger Zone. We're back. It's the danger zone. Danger Things zone. are about to get weird. Sure. <laughs> sexy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go, man. Uh, we're about to break yeah. down. Like like Max said before, we're, we're talking about, I'm thinking of ending things just like we all watched it. So spoilers henceforth. 
Yeah, I mean, you said, so you were like, when I read the title, thinking about anything, I'm thinking about anything, like your thought goes to suicide, right? And like, so did mine. But then it's it's pretty clear, at least first, you're like, oh no, it's not about suicide. It's about this girl and her relationship and she's thinking about ending things in her relationship. Uh, but then, oops, quick pivot. Um, no, it actually is sort of a movie about suicide. And like I said, right before we started, Johnny, um, I just want to give a quick sort of synopsis of sort of my take on what this movie was by the end. I mentioned earlier that like it clicked at some point and then I was like, okay, everything else makes sense. So if you'll indulge me, I will tell you what this movie's about. Please, because I've been fucking wondering that since I watched it. <laughs> it's a great movie to have had to sit with for like a week because there is a lot to process. And I think um, outside of just sort of yearning for sordid catharsis, it's a good movie to rewatch just for understanding's sake. Um, so, so basically what this movie is, is the final moments in the life of a man who is committing suicide after living a life that he, I think basically feels was not worth living or at the very least was not all he had hoped it was going to be. That person being the janitor slash Jake. Um, what's happening is that, is that the janitor is, is sort of finishing up his work and he's just going and he freezes to death in his car. And, and everything that we see is just sort of his life kind of flashing before his eyes as he's dying. And he's reimagining what his life could have been if X, Y, and Z had gone a certain way. And that explains for the multiple sort of um, origin stories of him with, with Jesse Buckley's character. Uh, like when we met at a bar or uh, we didn't meet at a bar, we met somewhere else or, or we never talked at all. And there's these inconsistencies that are sometimes corrected. And like you get these flashbacks to his childhood home and there's like all the weird stuff that happens makes total sense in, in a, a dream or B potentially your brain releasing a huge amount of DMT as you're dying. And I think if you look at it through that lens, a lot of it makes a lot more sense. At least it did to me. Did you have anything close to this reading during your watching or after? No. Okay. So wait, you're saying this is all a flashback of him like while he's dying in his truck. It's maybe not even a flashback. I think it's part flashback, part fantasy. Um, well, when was he dying in the truck and what made you get to that conclusion? So the very end of the movie ends with him going out and having his weird, like trip out thing where he strips naked and then walks with the animated pig. Right. Yeah. That never happens. He stays in his truck and he dies there. That's, that's my thought. Um, and, and the rest of it's just reflecting on what could have happened. Um, and I, I had that theory cause at the very beginning of the movie, there's this scene where. Jesse Buckley is waiting on the side of a curb for, for Jake to come. I keep saying Jesse Buckley, by the way, because her character doesn't have a name. She's credited as young woman, which makes mm-hmm. sense. Cause at some point she's called like Lucy or I think like Lucille. At one point she gets called Ames. Like she's this amount. She's not real. That's important to note. Like she didn't exist. It's, it's his perception of, of what like his girlfriend could have been if he had the courage to approach her or um, if he wasn't the weird guy outside of the ice cream store, like maybe that was a girl that he could have dated. And and she's just forced to be sort of this archetype of what could have been his happiness if he wasn't such, I guess, a weirdo, which feels reductive, but accurate in this case. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's not that it's all necessarily flashbacks. You know, when you think about your childhood and you're like, there's like certain like getting me a 64 controller. I remember that moment so specifically. There's probably so many things around there that I just forgot. So instead of thinking about that stuff, I latch onto the moment of getting the remote control. Like he latches onto the moment of seeing his dog shaking off uh, water 
or like remembering that pigs died with maggots and I maggots, man, what a visceral thing. <laughs> Heard maggots yeah. so many times in this movie. Um, but no, it's, um, it's, uh, it's a flash. It's, it's, it's a fantasy flashback death sequence is this entire movie. Basically. That's crazy. And all wrapped up in suicide. And I will say, and I feel proud of myself for this because a lot of times if I watch a movie, it'll be like the day before we record podcasts. And if I don't understand it, I'll be like, well, like, let me see what other people think. Let me compare theories. And this one, I was like, I'm going to sit on this fucking couch until I formulate what might be right, might be wrong, but at least a theory. And that's mm-hmm. what I came up with. And then I heard some stuff and I read some stuff. I was like, people who I respect were saying similar things. And I was like, yes, I might, yeah. I might've keyed into something. Okay. That's I'm, interesting. I mean, I also think I've, I've spent a lot more time and I've had more free time than you over the past few days, but I've spent more time thinking about this movie, but like, wh- where did you land on? Like, how did you feel when it finished? So for me, if I like my takeaway was like, this is metaphor. I was like, okay, but what the fuck is it metaphor for? Sure. Um, are we looking like, I'm like, okay, aging and like, sure. Like the futility of growing old and like a wasted life, perhaps. Perhaps, sure. Because like immediate, like not immediately, but at a certain point, it connected that what we were talking about earlier that that thing that connected in the movie that made more sense was that he's the janitor. Sure. Right. Is that what you were talking? Oh yes. What you were so, alluding yeah, that, to. That's earlier? what I was going to get at. Yeah. Like so, there's that scene where she's waiting um, for Jake to pick her up by the curb, right? And you yeah. get this random cut to an old guy watching out a window, like, yeah, looking down. And then when I watched the second time, there's a brief cut where you go back to that same exact shot, except this time it's not the old guy. And I'm pretty sure it's Jesse Plemons. So like Mm. when I saw that and there's moments like that throughout the movie, I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's the same person. Otherwise, like, why are we cutting to this janitor? Like, what's the significance? And the easiest thing for me to assume was like, it's probably him. And that just clicked Mm -hmm. for me. And and that was maybe luck of the draw. I was like, I got it. But once I thought that that could be him, but older, it was like the rest of this makes a lot more sense. Yeah, was, it clicked for me that he's the janitor when um, the young girl goes to the basement and reaches into the washer, and it's the all the uniforms. Oh, I didn't, uniforms. See, I didn't even know that was the uniform. I was like, what is that? But that makes total yeah, sense. Yeah, no, it's totally. the uniforms, and it's the same uniforms that the older janitor is wearing the whole yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, oh, that's 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 him. So that's, I mean, uh, so like, I think. And the, then you're thinking, I'm thinking maybe he lived with his parents until oh. he was old and they were old Probably. and like his mom's doing his laundry while he's the janitor at the school. I'm and sure. he's looking at like, and the kids dancing in the hallway Yeah, and like him watching them. That's like him like flashing back mm-hmm. or like wishing for something that didn't happen. I don't know. So, yeah. oh, okay. So the, the dot connected that okay. we both made was that the, he's the janitor. That's sure. what we were talking about earlier. We're yeah. just closing that loop. Sure. That was that. So my takeaway on this was like it seemed like a metaphor for like growing old. Okay. Um, and I think I was on the right track. I don't think I saw it through all the way to the extent that you did. Mm. Um, I think I was pointed in the right direction, and I didn't quite wrap my head around it. And by the time he strips naked and walks with a cartoon pig, you're so fucking discombobulated. Yeah. You don't know what the shit is yeah. happening. So much. They danced. There was dancing. There was fake tissue blood. Like. So much weird stuff has happened that, like, I was so completely just befuddled and, like, out of whack that, like, I couldn't even interpret that scene as him dying. And, like, you know, to go to the extent of, like, looking at that as a flashback, the whole movie as a flashback, didn't even cross my mind because, like, I was still trying to figure out 
57 other things that I didn't understand totally. and all the weird shit changing. Like people changed in this movie in the same scene. I know. And it's like, oh, you mean specifically when they're in the car and she, her, she the actress changes. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but and I you're was like, like what like, the fuck? <laughs> I remember, I mean, I compared this to the lighthouse in sort of its unenjoyability, but where I said, and I corrected you for this cause you watched the lighthouse sober. And I was like, I should have told you, man, don't watch the lighthouse without like at least two drinks. This one, I think you should not drink while watching. Cause yeah. you do start to question like what's real and what's not like, what am I, what am I just blinking for too long and missing? But you're right. Like this so one, like the beginning, her sweater, the stripes are changing colors and you're like, yeah. did they, wasn't that a, wasn't that a different color? Or, and then maybe it changes back. She's like, maybe I was tripping. But then like at one point there's like, here's a different actress altogether. I was pretty fucked up when I watched this movie. Yeah. I think, I think it's a mistake. <laughs> I think it like traumatized me. Yeah. Yeah. I was just drinking beers and I was just like, what? I don't like these feelings. I'm feeling feeling yeah. very confused about what's real and what's not. I don't like it. So I think I think I mean I mentioned earlier the the old New Yorker film critic Pauline Kale, and and the only reason I looked this up is because so they leave the farm and they talk about that movie A Woman Under the Influence, and then Jesse Buckley lights up a cigarette, which we haven't seen her do the whole movie. I'm like that's weird. I know you smoked. And then she starts talking in this very sort of like almost condescending, like everybody's dumber than her. Like, you, yes. And like starts talking real film critic-y, like annoyingly yeah. so. It's like nobody's – you aren't the same person. Um, so I did some digging and I was like, well, that's so weird. And then on a second watch, you get this scene in um, uh, Jake's childhood bedroom, right? And you kind of look at his bookshelf and there's like – I don't know if it was an autobiography or – or sort of just a compilation of her reviews, but there's a book that says Pauline Kale and um, uh, Robert w Wordsworth, I think is the poet's name. Um, okay. And then she picks up a book and starts reading a poem that like an hour ago she had said was her own poem, right? Like coming home is the worst, uh, whether you have a, a wife or a, a wife-shaped loneliness or something, um, which is already a horribly depressing poem in general. But that moment where you start seeing all of these influences from his childhood are basically just being projected into her and she's manifesting that stuff in real time. It's like, she's, she's not real. She's his projection of what his ideal girlfriend could have been or, or maybe multiple girlfriends. And, and that would explain the name changing. Totally. Like who knows what her name could have been. It could have been anything as long as it's serving sort of his ideal relationship. And you get stuff where like his parents, especially when they're old are like, he did so good, especially for not having any discernible skills or talent <laughs> whatsoever. And it's yeah. just like, he has this baggage. And if, especially like to your point, if he did live with his parents while trying to, or like working as a janitor, when he clearly had aspirations for creativity, he just wasn't that creative. Like the amount of guilt and shame you'd feel. It would make sense that your parents would be like, yeah, you had no skills. And like, that's, that's not a good scenario for somebody not to kill themselves. Like, I don't know. And it all culminates with this dance scene that we, that you mentioned, like in my brain. So it starts off with, with Jesse Plemons and Jesse Buckley facing each other in the hallways of this school. And I don't care to explain how they got to that school at this point, but they're in the school, they're in the hallway and two people, one on each side kind of stands behind them and then does this really, it's like, it's probably like a seven minute scene ballet dance and it's broken up eventually by a janitor. And to me, it was like, well, this is clearly like his actual self being the janitor, like destroying his potential with this fantastical girl. It's like, you're not going to dance. You're not going to fall in love. I'm going to destroy this. I'm going to kill you, literally kill you. 
Mm-hmm. Like your future is just going to destroy your past and you have no hope and that's it. And then, wait, what happens after that? There was one other important thing. Uh, no, then like old him comes and sweeps it up and then goes and kills himself. And then I just chalked up like the weird pig thing walking through the halls naked as like the literal like last moments of death, like nothing makes sense. And hmm. from a cinematic perspective, just like, sure, like we saw a pig earlier and fuck it. Like Charlie Kaufman's old. He's like, I'm gonna do whatever I want. And if it's weird, it's weird. Yeah. And when you think back now that I'm I'm hearing all this, this perspective, which yeah. I, I super appreciate your perspective on this yeah, movie yeah. because Thanks, it, it, it makes it a bit more uh makes it make more sense sure i have a question yeah do you think that they were alluding to that throughout this movie a bit more on the nose and then maybe there's just so much else going on that you, you don't really focus on it oh probably and the reason i ask that is because at one point uh the dude the younger version of the dude is mm-hmm. like Oh man, we used to like all these these kids would do this musical every year, and like mm. sometimes you'd see them after they did it a couple years later, and all that, and you're like, "What?" And then you flash to this janitor, and you're like, "Well, yeah. that's a perspective an old ass janitor would totally, have. Okay. yeah, yeah." Like you're like you're like 28, dude, or like 30, maybe. Like, yeah. what young kids are you talking about? Like, are you just hanging out at your high school? What is going on? I know, right? Um, so then, yes, no, I, I super agree. There's like that kind of stuff. There's the scene at the, uh, the Tulsi town fucking drive, drive in ice cream shop or whatever. Yeah. Um, that was weird. Like I'm going to probably be oversimplifying here, but like there's two quote unquote, like hot girls that work at the yeah. shack. Right. And he's like, they're, they're not going to come they're very blonde. Yeah. And like super flirty and, and, and for all intents and purposes, like popular hot high school girls. And he, as a 30-something-year-old, is like, I'm not going to go up to that window. Like, they don't want any part of me, whatever. And then, again, a little reductive. Like, there's a less attractive on paper girl with, like, rashes. And, like, she's a little awkward. And she comes, and she's fine to talk to them. Like, it's just all his projecting. Because, like, he's lived a life in his – like, he literally works at his high school and lives Mm -hmm. with his parents. Like, his entire life, though he aspires for creativity. And, like, he did those paintings in the basement, but nobody liked them, including his parents, because his parents don't get it. Like, how can you have loneliness if there's nobody in the picture being lonely? Like, I just feel like his whole life, he's tried to do stuff. And everyone's (laughs) been like, your stuff sucks. So go mop the floors. And he's just been trapped in this bubble. And his, like, frame of reference for like romance and, and, and pop culture is fucking Oklahoma. Like he's, he's so out of touch and so depressed and such a sad, tragic character. Like, I don't know, man. And, and like the unpopular girl that works at the shack, like has the same rashes on her arms that we kind of see on his hand when he gives her the money. And it's like, that's another projection of you. Like maybe you did work at this place. Maybe that's your weird attachments to Tulsi towns. Like you worked with these hot girls and they rejected you then. So of course they'll reject you in your dying fantasy. Why not? And like your only safe place is back in your little high school when you probably had a role in Oklahoma, which is how the thing ends with him singing a song from Oklahoma called Lonely Room. Looked it up. I was like, what's the significance of this? It's a very sad song, but it's all about like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to go and leave the shitty place and pursue the person I love. And of course he never does. He just dies. But in his final moments, he's like, this is how my life could have played out. And it just didn't. 
Why is your interpretation of this movie so much more depressing than the one that I took away with that would all that was already like a super big bummer? <laughs> Watch it again. It gets worse. Oh god. You're um, not selling it very well, hard, so, man. Yeah, like it gets back to my point. Like I didn't it's not an enjoyable experience. Like it bummed me out watching this movie again, but I had to understand it more. And and again, like I can't remember my phrasing earlier that you uh gave me a pat on the back for, but like there is something sometimes depressing about somebody's truth. And I will, I will bag on that so far as I can be like, I don't like it, but if that's your truth and that's the story we're telling I'm in. And if it makes me bummed out, you're achieving your goal. Yeah. Because you don't always like the truth because sometimes it hurts. Totally. So I'll pour a cup of whiskey and we'll call it good. But I, I see that I respect it and it sucks, Hmm. but it's, yeah, man, it's a, it's a, it's an intense watch for sure. Especially after the second time. Yeah, and like even like knowing now what I've I've just gleaned from you, like it kind of makes me want to watch it again, but it also kind of makes me never want to watch this movie again in my whole life. Yeah, I will say that like watching this movie in terms of um momentum and and interest, like the first 30 minutes I think is the roughest cuz it's basically one long shot of them in the car. Yeah. And it's weird and I don't particularly care about what they're talking about, but then it once you get to the farmhouse and stuff starts kind of getting non-linear, for me, that was way more interesting. And then I, I at least was like, okay, something's happening. Yeah, I, but if you if you go back and watch this movie with the lens of her being the projection of an ideal partner, mm-hmm. and you go back and you rewatch like the crispness and lack of awkwardness in that dialogue between yeah, the two of them. Yeah. And also, okay, I'm gonna add a layer of fucked upness sure. to your fucked Let's upness. Do it. Let's go. In this projection, if this whole movie's a flashback of him. Or fantasy. Pro- yeah, sure. Or yeah. fantasy. Okay, even worse, a fantasy. Mm-hmm. The chick is thinking about leaving him. So in the office, there's a scene where um, Dwight plays a game called, I think it's called Second Life. Or actually, I'm, I'm, they're conflating two different things. That is a thing. But he's given Jim shit one time. And he's saying that in this fantasy, like, um, he's the owner or a co-owner of a bed and breakfast. You know what I'm talking about? Where he yeah. co-owns it with Satan. Yeah. And Jim's like, oh, can I get a room? And he's like, sorry, no vacancy, like hell convention in town. And then Jim goes like, all right, just so I can understand this, in your wildest fantasy, you co-own a bed and breakfast with Satan where you're not even the owner. And then Dwight's like, you haven't even asked me my salary. He's like, okay, what is it? It's like 80,000, which is all to say like, if you've, this is a reach, but if you've led what others might call a mediocre life. The bar that you set for yourself might be looked upon by others as a shitty bar. Yeah. So yeah, even in his fantasy, he's rejected by the girls at the snow or at the, what is Tulsi town? <laughs> his girlfriend is like not super convinced that she even wants to be with him. And his parents talk shit about him. Yeah. Like, of course that guy's like, like his flashback, his ideal fantasy. Yeah. Oh wow! What if that's the whole point of the movie? I think that—that's that, like, what I'm saying. That is like the point. even, like it's, even it in sucks. this dude's utopian reflection of what his life could have been, his girlfriend doesn't even want to be with him. I know, which is another like amazing note. Like because before <laughs> we key into this, like there's moments where because it's narrated, it's safe to say if you haven't seen it, like in the beginning, we get the thoughts from inside Je- Jesse Buckley's head, and they get interrupted by him speaking out loud. And they're almost always a thought where she is thinking something negative and then he cuts in to prevent it. Or like, mm-hmm. she'll be saying something 
when they're in the house and he'll be like, Oh, my parents are coming down. Sorry. Hold that thought. Or like, Oh, yep. hold that thought. We're at the high school. Like don't, I don't want to address this negativity that I'm very aware of. I just want to ignore yeah. it. I'm fucking dying. So please just please shut up and let me yeah. die in peace. Jesus. And so there's this voice that she hears like, Oh, when she yeah, the phone her- call. Yeah. And it's very Bukowski esque sure. in its, its tone and its phrasing. Sure. I, I'm, Huge into Bukowski, and I recognized I the the meter you. and like the 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 bleakness, and even like if you listen to so some of his poems that he read himself, like the tone of voice was almost the same, just gruff and old and hopeless. Yeah, what was the deal with that voice? That like who was talking to her? I didn't figure that. Out. I forgot about that until just now. I did not figure it out on a second watch. I have no idea, but it seems important. Oh, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the very least, like. Maybe it's just like Charles Bukowski is another famous poet who also like didn't write the most uplifting stuff. And maybe they just wanted to reference him. Like maybe Charlie Kaufman was just like, let's put this in there. Like a Bukowski Easter egg. Sure. Like he's bleak. Why not? Uh, yeah. Like there's nothing, there's nothing happy or even like emotionally or, or life uplifting. There's nothing about this that is like, yeah, we'll be all right in the long run. It's like, it's like you're screwed. And in some sense, we are all Jesse Plemons' character. Like, we're all sort of headed for this cliff eventually. That's how it feels. That's why it resonated so yeah. strong. It's like, we might, this our, might be it. Who knows? We're all going to die eventually. So our lives, sure. our lives are, are all failures. We're going to die. Yeah, it's cool. Good like, episode, guys. This was fun. Some, by somebody's standard, and often it's your own. Like, you judge. I think the saying is that you're your own uh, harshest worst, critic, right? Like, worst yeah. critic, sure. Like, there are these, and I know that it's like a common tattoo, especially for kids that are like 19, like no regrets, but it's like, yeah, you might be singing a different song when you're 80. Like everybody's going to have regrets. And, and to some extent, I I really appreciate that about Charlie Kaufman's work is like, it is all sort of temporary and you're gonna not be a hundred percent satisfied. So get on board, you know? Mm-hmm. I think they even have a conversation like, um, Oh, I can't think of uh, the philosopher or artist they were talking about. Like, uh, you're on a train. Like, you're the train's going one way, and you're going to end up at the end of those tracks. And they're like, you can jump off the train. It's like, yeah, you'll die though. It's not like the movies. Like, you're on this train, and it's gonna stop at some point, and you're gonna die. And you know, it sucks, I guess. But here we are. <laughs> yep. Anyways, so rewatch it, man. Really, um, really dig deep. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so excited to get into that. Why don't I come over and, and we'll watch it together, and then we'll play Tony Hawk, and then uh, we can end things on a on a better, happier. Whoa, than we're whoa, now. we're not committing suicide together, man. Come on, <laughs> Jesus, we're not going to end things. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about ending this podcast at the very least. Yeah, we got to get out of here, dude. I need to like go watch some puppies play with each other. I know. Like, yeah, sexually. okay. I don't know what's happening. Well, this podcast wouldn't be what it is without the support of Bailey Minardi. We appreciate all you guys. I know it's been, I think it's probably been a pretty long episode, but we've been off the air for a little bit. Um, Keep your eyes open on your feed. I believe we have a sort of bonus episode coming probably next Monday or Tuesday. Um, yeah, it's a makeup love- episode. Yeah, I just, it's this has been great for me. At least it's uh, like, I, I know that you and I talk off the air. Just life's been crazy, and this has been a really nice way to readjust and, and kind of feel a little bit more normal. So thank you, sir. Absolutely. Thank you. This podcast uh, has been and always will be a form of therapy for me. I look forward to these sessions every week. So uh, thank you, and I've enjoyed this thoroughly, and I cannot wait to our next conversation. Deal. Agreed, man. Take care, everybody. Report.
This is Fresh Hop Cinema.